Pastor Melissa, ready to come up and deliver the word. Let's give her a big round of applause. Awesome. Thank you so much. I was wondering who was preaching today. <laughs> I thought, am I ever going to get up there? But thank you so much, Jacob. Um, praise God. I've got maybe 15 minutes, but God is good, eh? God is good. We never used to fight over the microphone. It was just, you can have it, Jacob, but now, you know, a bit of tug of war, but now that's a good bit of banter between us is a good thing, praise God. I'm going to pray. Lord, I just thank you for who you are. I just commit this word to you. We thank you that your word does not return void. And we just thank you that we've just had such a good time in your presence already, that we've heard truth, that we've worshipped, that we've praised. And uh, we thank you that you're at the centre of our lives, Lord God, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. Fantastic. So the title of my message this morning is Anchored in Truth. Anchored in Truth. Now, when I was younger and I was growing up, um, basically I grew up on the soccer field. So my dad was the boss of a local soccer club, um, Bayswater Inter Soccer Club to be exact. And so we were there basically every weekend. So like my kids are growing up in church, I grew up around soccer. So we were in the club rooms, we were around the canteen, that was a good place to be, um, playing arcade games, you know, just doing all that fun stuff. And I have really good memories of that, um, of growing up and uh, doing that. And so when the David Beckham documentary comes out and my uh, on Netflix and and there's limited other options available, I'm going to watch it. And so I watched this documentary, and for those that don't know who Beckham is, he's a famous English soccer player that played uh, in the late 90s through the 2000s and retired in 2013. And so he's an incredibly skilled soccer player, and so he rose to fame quite quickly. And um, now I haven't followed his career, some of you may have, but I haven't followed his career super close. So while I was watching the documentary, I was actually quite, James, you're listening, aren't you, mate? You're a soccer person, I see you there. I've got him, I've got him, let's see if I can keep him. Uh, and uh, James is a good soccer player, praise Jesus. But anyway, I, I, I haven't watched his career closely, so as I'm watching the documentary, now I don't necessarily recommend to watch the documentary, I'll just put that there. But anyway, uh, I, I was shocked, shocked to see what actually happened to Beckham throughout his career. The way he was treated by his fans and the media, it just shocked me. One minute he's absolutely loved and, and adored and, and put up on a pedestal and he's the hero and loved by everyone. And then the next minute he makes one single mistake, one mistake and the whole world turns against him. They absolutely hated him. It's, it's incredible to watch. Granted, he made the mistake in a World Cup against Argentina and uh, he let his anger get the better of him and he did this little flick kick to the Argentinian, is that a word, Argentinian player? And uh, But even the, the, the player from, from Argentina, let's put it that way, uh, even he said it was barely nothing, I hardly felt it, but he saw that the umpire was there, so he threw himself on the ground and made a spectacle of it, and uh, as you do in soccer, right, all your football fans, uh, and, um, and so he threw, and so the, the umpire saw that, and, uh, and he gave, um, he pulled out a red card on Beckham, and Beckham got sent off the field, and so England ended up losing that game. And they all blamed Beckham, like they crucified him. They forget the point that they actually could have won it in penalties, but they needed someone to blame. It's a bit like humanity sometimes, right? We need someone to blame. And Beckham copped it. I'm not joking. For months and months and months on end, everywhere he went, they spat on him, they abused him, they attacked him. 
They wrote all sorts of things about him, pictures of him hanging from a noose um, and so on and so forth. It was incredible just to watch humanity and the way they treated this guy. And he was only 23 years old. 23 years old and every single day he experienced this treatment. His own country, his own people just completely turned on him just in a moment. Within the same World Cup series, the other game they played was against Colombia and he did something, I can't remember what, uh, did so, and he was a hero in that game. And then a game or two later, within the same World Cup series, he, he, he's the villain. So from he hero to villain in just a moment. How? Based on people's opinions, based on, on people's perspectives, based on people's filters, based on, on, on um, being influenced by others because the coach came out and, and basically he was the first one to blame Beckham and then that was it. That was it. It set the culture. And so as I was watching this, I was just thinking again how fickle we can be as people really and I'm including myself in that. You know, how our opinions change ever so quickly from this to that and then back to this again. And the danger is, is the mistake we make or the danger of that is that we can tend to put our trust and our worth and our value in those ever-changing opinions. Such an unstable environment, but we give so much authority to what people think of us at times, whether good or bad, and we begin to base our worth and our value on that, and it's a trap. The Bible says it's a trap. And what happens is we get pushed around, we get hurt, we get offended, we get rejected, or we get puffed up with pride. You know, we get arrogant perhaps, or, you know, our ego gets a hold of us, and yet people's opinions are so fickle, changing from one moment to the next. We just saw that with the, the story of Beckham. But it made me think about a story in the Bible with Paul the Apostle. So he was on his way to a hearing um, before Caesar. And I think Jacob spoke about it last week where he gets shipwrecked and he ends up on an island. And we read in Matthew, no, Acts 28, 1 to 6, it says this, Once everyone was accounted for and we realised we had all made it, we learnt that we were on the island of Malta. The natives went out of their way to be friend. The natives went out of their way to be, to be friendly to us. The day was rainy and cold, and we were already soaked to the bone. But they built a huge bonfire and gathered us around it. Paul pitched in and helped. He had gathered up bundles of sticks, but when he put it on the fire, a venomous snake, roused from its sleepiness by the heat, struck his hand and held on. Seeing the snake hanging from Paul's hand like that, the natives jumped to the conclusion that he was a murderer getting what he deserved. And Paul shook the snake off into the fire like it was nothing. They kept expecting him to drop dead, but when it was obvious he wasn't going to, they jumped to the conclusion that he was a god. From murderer to god in just a paragraph or a few sentences, just in a moment. I mean, how fickle is this? Ever changing opinions from one extreme to the other from hero uh, from murderer to god from hero to villain you know the point is is he wasn't a murderer he wasn't neither he was neither or either neither or either he was not a murderer and he was not a god who gives humanity or humans the authority to tell us who we are 
Who have we released that authority to in our own lives? And the even bigger question is, does it line up with the word of God? Does it line up with what God says about you? Or are we being tossed to and fro because we believe what others say about us? Or worse yet, what we say about ourselves? You know that self-talk? What we tell You don't need other people to be putting you down and telling you negative things. You've been doing it your whole life. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. We've got to love ourselves. Amen? So Paul wasn't a murderer. He wasn't a God. What was Paul? He was a child of God. He was loved by his saviour. He was righteous because of Jesus Christ. He was worthy because of the blood of the lamb. He was forgiven and free. Why? Because Jesus forgave him and set him free. He was called by God. He was on a mission. He was not bound by condemnation. He was who he was because of who he was in God. He was who he was because of who he was in God. That's who Paul was. Not what these people, you know, can you imagine? And I know some of us or most of us or I'm sure it can't just be me can get swayed sometimes by people's ever-changing opinions. He wasn't what other people said about him, Paul wasn't. He wasn't what other people decided. He wasn't what other people thought. But he was who he was in God. And Paul lived that. He didn't put his worth or his values in his work or his ministry. He placed his value and his worth in who he was in God. Absolutely key. Paul had one mission and he said this in Philippians 3.13, the one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He didn't put, you know when he says I put everything behind, that, that, that's successes and failures, successes and failures. You know, he didn't put his value and worth in any of his successes and he didn't put any of his value and worth in his failures and he had both. We all have our successful times and we all have our failures but either which way, we don't put our worth and our value in that. You know, we look at Jesus Christ himself. Who loves Jesus? Man, isn't he awesome? So he's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, Palm Sunday. And it says this, the people gave him a wonderful welcome, some throwing their coats on the street, others spreading out rushes. I don't know what rushes are, they're branches. Yes, Palm Sunday, of course. They had cut in the fields, running ahead and following after they were calling out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in God's name. Bless the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in highest heaven. They praised him, they honoured him. They lifted up his mighty name. Yet not long after, that very same crowd were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. They went from praise to crucify, from hero to villain, from murderer to God. You've got to laugh at that Paul story, don't you? It's incredible. From praise to crucify. They said, give us Barabbas. We want Barabbas. Crucify Jesus, crucify him. 
after they gave him a wonderful welcome and laid out branches and threw down their coats. I mean, would you throw your coat on the floor? (laughs) Maybe. From hero to villain, based on people's opinions, based on perspectives, based on filters, based on who they were listening to. You know we have to be so careful with who we are listening to. Who are you listening to? Who is in your inner circle speaking into your ear? Think about it because that can influence you. You become who you hang around. What do they say? The Bible says, Proverbs, bad company corrupts good character. So Jesus is insulted. He's spat on, he's whipped, he's abused. He's called a blasphemer, a liar, and the names went on. Yet, The truth was, what was it? He was the saviour of the world. What else was he? He was God's only son. He was our redeemer. He was the name above every other name. He wasn't whatever people said about them and their ever-changing opinions from this to that and back to this again. He was who he was in God and he knew who he was in God. He knew who he was in God. And you know what? He spoke about who he was in God. He not only knew it, but he spoke it out. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the door of the sheep. He said, I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the resurrection and life. He spoke out who he was. And God calls us to speak out who we are in him. Do you do that? Or do you just listen to the thoughts that come into your head? He calls us to speak it out, what he says about us. He calls us to place our value and trust and worth in who he is and what he says about us. To reject those lies. You know those lies? Or maybe you don't know because maybe you're believing them. But if those thoughts that are coming into your mind don't line up with the word of God, then they're lies and you need to replace them with God's truth. You need to kick them out. They don't belong there. That's why we need to know the word of God. Have one of these by your bedside. Read and read some more and then read again. Especially if you've had a history of people telling you who you are. You need to get this into your mind and into your heart and into your soul to replace those lies that the devil and other people and sometimes the devil uses other people or even the thoughts and the things we tell ourselves. The Bible says that we're to to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. In 2 Corinthians 10.5 it says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So key, so important. Just because it comes into your mind doesn't mean it's truth. We've got a choice as to what we do with it. Things that have been said about you in the past, perhaps. Things that you've believed about yourself in the past or even now. You've still got that inner dialogue happening. You're still surrounding yourself with people that are saying negative things, putting you down, whatever it may be. If it doesn't line up with God's word, it's out of there in Jesus' name. Amen? And then begin to speak out who you are. Who are you? Who are we? 
I'm a child of God. I'm loved by God. I'm called by God. I'm righteous before him. I'm worthy because of him. I'm set free and forgiven. I walk in victory. I am called. I'm on a mission. Jesus loves me. These are the things that we've got to tell ourselves and speak out because we come into agreement with what God says about us, not whatever are changing opinions are telling us in Jesus' name. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of human opinion, this is the Message Bible, disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. Disables here is not a good word. Human, the fear of human opinion disables. Another translation, NLT, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Don't you love it when you're just with God and you just feel safe and he's with you? The praise of man and the fear of man are really different sides of the same coin. You know, the Pharisees were accused of loving the praise of God or the praise of man, sorry. They were accused of loving the praise of man more than the praise of God. Yet we've just seen how fickle the praise of man is, how short-lived it is, lived it is. I mean, David Beckham in the same World Cup series from hero to, I mean, they crucified him. Paul the Apostle from murderer to God, Jesus Christ, a warm welcome, lay out your coats to give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Some of us are are, are such notorious people pleasers. (laughs) We crave the praise of other people. You know, our parents, our spouse even, our our kids, you know, whoever, you might crave it from your boss or, or your friends. We just crave, you know, we're just people pleasers. We wanna do what pleases them to get their approval but yet we make decisions that are detrimental to us. We make decisions that are detrimental to us. Decisions that get their approval, they get their praise, but goes against what God is saying. It goes against what you're called to. It goes against what God is doing in your life. We so desperately seek their approval that we put them above God. And we get this temporary approval. We get, we get it, just, it's just temporary because they're going to change their minds next week. <gasps> they're going to be gossiping about you. Or, or who knows? I don't know. You know, ever-changing opinions. We've just got to go with that's humanity, okay? Including me. Unless we're led by the Spirit of God, amen. <laughs> amen. So desperate for their approval that we put them above God. The praise of man is really perhaps the fear of man. Perhaps it is. I think it is. And the Bible says that the fear of man is a trap, one that will ensnare and one that will trip up. So what do we do instead? Instead, it says God calls us to trust him, to look to him, to believe in him and to believe in his word. Amen. I've shared this story before, but for those that haven't heard it, you can, sorry, if you've, you're just going to have to hear it again. <laughs> It's my life. So it's good to give examples. I was um, down at Adult and Teen Challenge. Jacob's already spoke about it. You always hear us talk about Adult and Teen Challenge. I, pro- I apologise ahead of time. It's just, it's in our DNA. It's who we are. It's how we got saved and set free. So 
Sorry, not sorry, Jacob Reckons. Anyway, I, I, I moved from Esperance to Perth and um, after being four years down there doing rehabilitation and being on staff, basically. I moved to Perth. I moved in with my dad for about a period of six months just so I could um, get back on my feet, you know, get a job, make some new friends, get connected into a church, et cetera, et cetera. And so my dad in that time, he just noticed, like, um, my, my love and commitment for God. Like, um, he... But instead of inspiring him, it actually scared him. <laughs> and uh, so he's, he's, he wasn't a Christian. And, so, and fair enough, like I literally threw myself into this church in Joondalup. Like I just was there all the time and I just threw myself in, into it because I knew I didn't want to go back to my old life. I knew that much and I knew that's what I needed to do to move forward and stay free from what was behind me. Um, but he got a little bit concerned he got a little bit concerned and he sat me down one day for a serious conversation. Now, I'm an adult, I'm 28, but he's my dad, right? And so he sat me down for a serious conversation and he said something like this. He said, I feel as if I can help save you from drug addiction, but I don't feel as if I can help save you from God. <laughs> he realised his powerlessness before God. My dad's not a stupid guy. He's not with us anymore. He ran his own business. He's a clever dude. You know, he's the boss of the soccer club, etc. He's not stupid, but he wasn't a Christian. You know, it cha- you know that veil that comes over people's eyes and they're blinded? And so we had this conversation, and, and, uh, but he said to me, this is what he said. he said. He said, why do you have to go to church so much? Why do you have to always listen to that music? This is talking about my worship music in my bedroom. Why do you have to read your Bible all the time? Like I would loved the Word of God. Like I was just, I couldn't get enough of it. Why do you have to do all these things? He said, why don't you just go out and have a drink and get a boyfriend and just be normal? And uh, I don't know what he was afraid of. I'm not sure. Maybe he thought I was like uh, becoming a nun or something or I was a part of some sort of cult. In, in actual fact, when I moved back to Perth, I ran into one of my brother's friends and he goes, oh, I heard you, you're a nun now. <laughs> and I was like, uh, not quite. I, I was actually a little bit offended, but looking back now, it's funny. But, you know, I don't know what was going, but he was worried. He needed to save me from God. And so, you know what, I I wanted my dad's approval. Every girl does. Every girl wants their dad's approval. But you know what? Not before God's. Not before God's. Even my dad, the authority figure in my life at that time because I was single. Jacob was hanging around a little bit, but (laughs) wasn't quite there yet. But, you know, I told my dad about the experience I had and the encounter I had with God and how he came into my life and touched my heart. And I said, there's no going back. There's no taking it from me. There's no arguing. You can't argue with me with what happened. Uh, Politely, but you can't. This is who I am now. And I'm a different person, but this is who I am. And this is what I need to do. Because I knew God had called me. I knew he was speaking to me. I knew what I had to do. My eyes were on the prize looking towards Jesus, and we had to agree to disagree. And that was okay. But I had to make a stand. I had to make a stand. I wasn't giving it up for the praise of man. would have been amazing to get my dad's approval. It's what you live for. And I think he approved eventually and, you know, would have conversations over the years, etc. and he saw that I was living a good life and God was blessing me. But in that moment, I needed to take a stand. 
I wasn't going to give it up for the praise of man, nor for the fear of man. You know, my dad's a strong personality. I could have been fearful and shrunk back. But no, God is God. And that's what I look to. Saul from the Bible desperately cared. Saul, if you know Saul from the Bible, he desperately cared. The king before David, back in the Old Testament. Go find it if you're not familiar with it. We don't have time to go into it. But he desperately cared about the opinions of others. He desperately cared about it. And he, and he disobeyed God a multiple times because of it. Because of this need he had, this praise of man. He wanted to be praised by people. He got so offended when they were singing better praises about David. Didn't he? You know the story. If you, know, if you don't, please go read it. Desperately, he, he was scared of the men as well. I, I did this because I was worried that they would come and da-da-da-da-da-da. But it ultimately led to his downfall. Ultimately, it led to his downfall. As believers, we can't let the opinions of others pull us away from our walk with God. We cannot. We cannot let the opinions of others pull us away from our walk with God. We can't let caring about what others think stop us from doing what God has called us to. It doesn't matter who it is. You be kind, you be gentle, you be polite, of course. But this is who I am in God now. We can't allow others to tell us who we are. We must get that from God first and foremost. And of course, people come alongside us and they encourage us and they, um, you know, they help us uh, uh, walk in what God's got for us and they speak life. And, and, and of course, they, they can do that and that's fine, but, but we don't put our value in that. We don't put our worth in that. We don't place our value and our worth in our jobs, our ministries, our talents, our giftings. The only place we put our value and our worth is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, where we're anchored to his truth. Anchored to his truth. We don't hand over complete authority to another person in this area because humans are humans and we're fickle. We are. We don't operate for the praise of man. We live for an audience of one. And his name is Jesus. Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. And Jesus is that hope. You know, towards the end of this documentary with Beckham, do you know he's still, I don't know how old, I think he's my age actually, he's still beating himself up for that one mistake that he did in that World Cup series. Still, to this day. And the unbelievers, they don't, if you're not a believer, you've got to find something to put your worth in and your value in. But the Bible says that Jesus is our hope. He is the way, the truth and the life and the only way to the Father is through him. Jesus is our hope. He is our anchor. I want to encourage us this morning to put our hope in him to put our value in him, to put our worth in him, to begin to speak out who you are in him. Read the word of God and find out what lies you're believing. Get rid of them. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to God.
Amen? If you can just bow your heads for a moment. I just want to give anyone an opportunity that's in the building right now or online. If you've never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to give you this opportunity right now. It's a simple prayer. Believe it in your heart. Speak it out with your mouth. That Jesus sent, that God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for you so you can walk in forgiveness, clean, righteous, worthy before him. So if that's you, church, we're going to pray this all together if you can follow after me. God, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me. I ask that you forgive my sins, wash me clean, and today I choose to live for you. Amen. Just with every head still bowed, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, if you're in the building, you can just lift your hand up in the air just so I can see it. Or if you're online, you can make a comment and we can reach out to you. Just a few more moments. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'm just going to pray for the rest of us. Lord, I just thank you for every single person here right now. I just pray, Father, for those that are perhaps struggling in this area, Lord God, where they're putting their worth and their value and who they are in the opinions of others, where they're struggling with people-pleasing. I just pray that that be broken right now in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray today there's a stake in the ground. We ask for your forgiveness, Lord God, that we've tried to get our worth and significance and value from other places, whether it be people, whether it be our workplaces, whether it be wherever it may be, our gifts, our talents, our ministry. I pray today we refocus that and begin to find out who we are in you. Those lies we're believing that people may be believing right now in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray it be broken that they be replaced with your truth, Lord God. Open up spiritual eyes and ears, Lord God, that you'd move powerfully on people's minds and hearts, Father. We pray for fresh revelation, Lord God. We pray for such an encounter, Lord God, in the coming weeks that you'd begin to minister in such a powerful way in this area, Father, because you're such a good God and you have good plans for your people. That we would keep our eyes firmly fixed on you, that we wouldn't look to the left or to the right, but keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Have your way, Father God. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to worship. Have your way, Lord God. Why don't you do business with God this morning? You're such a good God. We just thank you for your word this morning, Father. Continue to minister to us as we worship you, as we surrender. Thank you, Father.